the latest from 7 News with Angela Cox. Good evening and welcome tonight. Duty calls. The Queen presses on with royal work despite testing positive to COVID. Live to Windsor Castle Plus, expert insight. One of Australia's most wanted men arrested those new developments from police. Stopping war, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin to hold talks. But has the Russian president already given invasion orders live to Ukraine? And sporting legend turned lifesaver, who these swimmers have to thank for rescuing them. But first tonight, the Queen is pushing through her COVID symptoms, carrying out light official royal duties. Europe Bureau Chief Hugh Whitfeld is live outside Windsor Castle, where Her Majesty is isolating. Hugh, what has Buckingham Palace revealed about her condition? Well, Ange, we are told that the Queen is suffering from mild cold-like symptoms. So that would, you'd expect, be a, a runny nose, potentially, and and maybe a cough, but uh, it's unclear exactly how bad the Queen has COVID. She only tested positive about 24 hours No, now. We now know that she is triple vaccinated as well. But keep in mind that Her Majesty is 95 years old. She's due to turn 96 in April. She's had a bit of a run of bad health towards the end of last year. So there's multiple factors there at play. Some are good, some are bad. Her age is a factor, uh, but also the fact that she's triple vaccinated should, should, should surely be seen as a good sign. And Buckingham Palace keen to point out too that the Queen intends to carry out those light official duties here at Windsor uh, while she recovers from her positive test. Now, Hugh, Prince Charles has just recovered from COVID for a second time and we know Camilla contracted the virus too last week. Do we know how the future King and Queen are doing as we go to air tonight? Well, Charles is back at work. He had an engagement uh, last week alongside Princess Anne. The expectation is to, uh, considering the timing of all of this, that Camilla should also be allowed back out of her self-isolation, although we haven't seen her return to any official duties at this stage. Uh, Charles saw the Queen back on February the 8th. He tested positive two days later, so it's unlikely you'd have to think that Charles gave his mother COVID. What we do know, though, is that the virus has taken a bit of a run through the staff here at Windsor Castle over the last couple of weeks, and as those protocols surrounding Her Majesty have been relaxed in recent months, as restrictions here have relaxed, including in Australia, of course, as well, that I guess a few more risks have been taken, and clearly that's how COVID has, uh, has gotten in, Ange. OK, thanks so much, Hugh. And we will have more insight from a royal expert on what's likely to be happening behind the scenes at Windsor Castle a little later in the show. This week, the US and Russian presidents are set to hold a summit on the conflict in Ukraine, potentially the last time they talk before Vladimir Putin orders an invasion. Our correspondent Sarah Greenolch is live from Lviv for more on this story. Sarah, the Kremlin's had some interesting remarks about these talks tonight. And uh, it has good evening. To give you a little bit of context, it's the French president, Emmanuel Macron, who seems to be acting as a middleman here. He spoke to the Russian president twice yesterday on the phone, including at 1am Moscow time. President Macron then spoke to President Joe Biden, who held a meeting of his National Security Council, where he declared that diplomacy, in his opinion, is still possible. But he also warned again of the swift, severe consequences Russia will face if it does choose war. The French were reporting that the Americans... And 
and Russians were going to host this summit, but the Kremlin has poured uh, cold water of that over that in the past few hours, saying that it is simply too early, too premature to have these sort of talks. Uh, so Russia instead will today be hosting its own National Security Council meeting, an unscheduled meeting with President Putin supposed to be giving a speech. We don't know exactly what he will be saying. We uh, believe it will be something to do with the situation here in Ukraine. So, and a lot of talking about talking, uh, but very few solutions at this stage. Goodness. So, Sarah, what is the latest intelligence on a possible invasion? Well, all the intelligence is pointing towards an attack on this country, possibly sometime this week. But analysts are divided as to what that would look like, whether it could be a nationwide attack or whether it will be a series of smaller strikes and attacks. And in some respects, we've already seen that happening. There was a huge cyber attack here at the end of last week. Uh, it affected banks and government websites. That has now been officially blamed on Russia. There's also these rising tensions in eastern Ukraine, in these uh, areas controlled by rebels in the self-declared People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk, where over the weekend they were staging this fake crisis. They were evacuating women and children, uh, telling them that Ukraine was about to attack. They were telling men in the area to stay back and report for duty. We've seen this increase on social media and on Russian state television of all of these reports basically painting Ukraine to be the aggressor. And this is exactly what Western officials uh, have been warning us about for several weeks now, that Russia would try to create this false flag operation, this pretext or justification for an attack. And just in the past few minutes, we've actually seen that the Donetsk People's Republic has officially requested Russia's military assistance to go into that area against Ukraine. From the Americans, US officials are estimating that about 75% of Russia's conventional forces are now postured against Ukraine. And we had that announcement yesterday that Russian forces will be remaining in Belarus, where they were carrying out joint military drills. They were supposed to finish yesterday and now they will be uh, remained stationed there just a couple of hours from the capital Kiev. So Ange, it's all leading to this perpetual state of uncertainty for these poor people in this country. Uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot a lot of things still to, to play out on this story, Ange. Indeed. Okay. Thanks so much, Sarah. One of Australia's most wanted men who became known as the head and fingers killer is under arrest tonight after 12 years on the run. With a $100,000 bounty on his head, Graham Potter was finally tracked down in far north Queensland. Let's go live now to Joel Dry in Brisbane for more on this developing story. Joel, this follows a lengthy and frustrating nationwide manhunt. Yeah, it does, Ange. A 12-year manhunt for one of the country's most wanted fugitives. But it ended this morning with the arrest of Graham Potter in the small North Queensland town of Ravenshoe. Officers had a tip-off that he was in the area and they then pounced, you know, pretty squalid conditions in a very small house. Some body-worn vision showing the moments that he was discovered and ultimately put into handcuffs, led away, ending his very long run at freedom. He is now in custody. He will likely be extradited back to Victoria tomorrow to finally front the Melbourne Magistrates Court on a series of charges that he skipped out on 12 years ago. One of them, the most 
serious conspiracy to murder. The allegation there that he intended to kill a man at the wedding of the son of Melbourne underworld figure Mick Gatto. Now, Potter himself is no stranger to violent crimes. He was convicted uh, and sent to jail over the murder of a teenage girl back in the 80s. After that murder, he decapitated her and cut off her fingers. That's where he developed the nickname of the Head and Fingers Killer. And it's also one of the major reasons police were desperate to get this man back in handcuffs. And Victoria detectives never gave up on this case. Here's what they had to say earlier tonight. It's an outstanding result. Um, whilst the trial has gone cold, the resolve to locate Graham right across Australia has not wavered. And their perseverance has really paid off. Potter was described as a master of disguise. What were some of his tricks to stay hidden, Joel? Well, the 64-year-old had developed a series of aliases and also developed a series of ways to stay hidden, including hair dyes, wigs, also fat suits, if you can believe it. And for a long time, they worked. Police tracked him through numerous states. They thought they had him in Tully, also in North Queensland, but he skipped uh, their, their uh, detection and arrest there. Police found a camp that he'd been living in, but that hunt went for another few more years. But finally, with a bit of assistance from the public and also some great detective work. They discovered him today. These disguises helped him stay on the run for more than a decade, but as we now know, ultimately, they couldn't help him stay hidden forever. Ange? Just incredible. Okay, thanks so much, Joel. China is accusing the federal government of throwing mud at its navy, claiming it was within its rights to shine a military-grade laser at an Australian Air Force plane. Political reporter Rob Scott is in Parliament House. Rob, how is Beijing trying to justify what Scott Morrison has called an act of intimidation? Well, Ange, the Communist Party used its uh, propaganda mouthpiece, the Global Times, to basically put the blame for the entire incident on Australia. Uh, yesterday, the Defence Force revealed that one of its surveillance planes had, as you said, a military-grade laser trained on it by a Chinese warship off the coast of Darwin, something that Scott Morrison labelled a reckless and dangerous act of intimidation, and he demanded that Beijing explain. Today it did, accusing the RAF aircraft of conducting, quote, unsafe, provocative, close in reconnaissance, saying the laser was used as a tool to measure how close the plane was and presented little danger to the crew, saying that Mr Morrison was hyping the whole thing up. Now, the Defence Minister, Peter Dutton, has dismissed the article and its claims as nonsense. And from foreign hostilities to ones closer to home, uh, the PM managed to dodge an uninvited visitor as he campaigned in Tasmania today. He was confronted by a woman protesting a mine tailings dam in Tasmania's Tarkine wilderness. Here's a little bit of that. Don't touch me. I will move if you stop touching me. Please stop touching me and I'll move. Excuse we are me. here to talk about to okay. kind of talk Excuse me, ma'am. Can I please touch you over here? Thank on you. On the current national stage. Ma'am. We are trying to address you to the Federal Minister. So the Prime Minister just managing to slip away from that protester. He's on the Apple Isle visiting the ultra-marginal electorates of Bass and Braddon, which are absolutely crucial for him to hang on to if he has any chance of being re-elected. And tomorrow he'll announce an $800 million investment to strengthen strategic and research capabilities in the Antarctic region. There'll be money for drone fleets to help map inaccessible areas, 
cash for new helicopters to explore uh, places that no country has ever been able to reach before, as well as funding for ice sheet science to better understand the impacts of climate change. Now, the opposition leader, Anthony Albanese, will also make the trip to Tassie tomorrow. Uh, He'll be there on the island, uh, which is set to become a major battleground at the next election. Yes, it sure sounds like it. Okay, thanks so much, Rob Scott, in Canberra for us. Trains will be back on the tracks in a very limited capacity in Sydney tomorrow, but people are still being told to avoid the rail network. The state government has been in talks with the union tonight. Tom Saker is in Sydney with the very latest. Tom, it's been a day of chaos and confusion for commuters after that abrupt shutdown. What happened at tonight's meeting? Well, Ange, the government and the union have come to somewhat of an agreement uh, late this evening. Starting from tomorrow, 5am, there will be a reduced timetable. Trains will run every half an hour, 15 minutes in some cases, and there will be a... uh, 150 bus replacement services to run along busy railway corridors. The government has also organised for two car parking pop-up locations at Moore Park and at Rose Hill Gardens to accommodate for drivers coming in and out of the city. Uh, The government, however, says uh, is still urging commuters to avoid the entire rail network at all costs because of that very much reduced timetable. They said they came to this agreement uh, because of of essential workers and those who have no other travel options. But the union is saying that uh, today's decision by the government, or this evening's decision by the government, is vindication that the fact that they will be running services tomorrow means that they could have been running services today while the union was still able to exercise its right to industrial actions over those ongoing disputes regarding pay, safety, hygiene and privatisation. Now, discussions at this stage won't resume until Wednesday. Uh, The union said that uh, this morning's dummy spit Uh, This morning's decision by the government to halt those services was a dummy spit and a concerted fear campaign against the unions. Uh, As I said, the discussions won't resume until Wednesday at this stage where it's hoped that they will resume some sort of uh, full timetable. But by that stage, it will have been 48 hours of absolute uh, headaches for commuters, Ange. Yeah, it was a real mess today. Okay, thanks so much, Tom. International tourists are back in Australia in the biggest way yet tonight. Our borders reopening to all vaccinated visitors. The federal government says it's safe to welcome quarantine-free overseas arrivals after a two-year lockout. Their return is hugely significant for the tourism industry, with the absence costing the economy $60 billion a year. The killer, known as the widow of Walker, is serving her first night of a 40-year jail sentence for murdering her partner. Natasha Beth Darcy claimed Matthew Dunbar committed suicide after making her the sole beneficiary of his farm. She was later found guilty of sedating him with a cocktail of drugs before gassing him. Darcy had Googled different ways to carry out the crime, including how to commit murder. A judge described the crime as clumsy and ugly. She is eligible for parole in 2047. And Atlassian co-founder Mike Cannon-Brook says he is determined to buy power giant AGL. That's despite his $8 billion joint takeover bid with Brookfield being rejected by the board. The billionaire says he wants to shut down coal production in Australia and the purchase of AGL is part of that plan. 
AFL star Patrick Dangerfield is being praised tonight for his heroic efforts, this time off the footy field. The Brownlow medalist leapt into action to save three swimmers, including a young girl, from drowning off the Victorian coast. Sarah Jones joins us for more now. Sarah, this family was very lucky. Very lucky indeed, Ange. The 11-year-old girl, along with her mum and her mum's friend, were caught in a rip on Victoria's surf coast yesterday when Paddy Dangerfield sprung into action. He grabbed his surfboard and rushed out to sea, managing to keep the trio afloat until lifesavers arrived. Dangerfield says his instincts just kicked in. Oh, I just think, as humans, if you see someone struggling and... and you know, you have a responsibility if you feel you can. Um, so this thing is what you do. Get out there as quickly as possible and then remain as calm as possible and try and calm people down who are obviously really panicked and panic brings on fatigue really quickly. It was also the Geelong star's first day out of isolation since having coronavirus. He was spending the day at the beach with his family and I think it's safe to say that his fitness skills are still up to scratch after having coronavirus. Life-saving Victoria will now nominate the Brownlow medalist for a bravery award, one I think he thoroughly deserves, And Absolutely. What a top bloke. Thanks so much, Sarah. The Queen isn't letting her positive COVID result get in the way of her royal duties carrying out light work while isolating in Windsor Castle. Buckingham Palace tells us Her Majesty is suffering only mild symptoms of the virus. Doctors for the 95-year-old British monarch are carefully monitoring her health. For more, I'm joined by Daily Mirror Royal editor Russell Myers. Russell, can you give us an idea of what would be going on behind the scenes at the Palace now? Well, good evening, Ange. Uh, well, of course, uh, the, the Queen is triple vaccinated, and uh, I think there would have been a, an awful lot of fervent activity had we been speaking about this a few months ago. But of course, we are in a different world of the vaccines. However, the Queen is being cared for by a royal doctor. She had been being tested each day because of that close contact she had with Prince Charles about 10, 11 days ago. Um, we've told that there's been a bit of an outbreak at Windsor Castle, uh, and that is probably the source of the Queen's infection, most notably probably not uh, coming into close contact with Charles. However, um, you know, the Queen has been in ill health of, uh, of late. She was forced to spend the night in hospital Overnight in October, she strained her back. She wasn't able to go to the Remembrance Sunday services um, in November. So, you know, she, she is being told to take it easy. So hopefully she's heeding that advice. You said it seems unlikely that it was Charles who exposed her to the virus. Completely unfair, but do you think this could impact public perception of him, especially when the palace is trying to prepare the world for him to take over if something does happen to the Queen? Well, you're totally right. There's been an awful lot of activity in recent weeks. Of course, the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, she used that uh, big message to state it. it was her sincere wish for Camilla to be known as Queen Consort. And that, of course, is a huge, huge piece of news throughout uh, the country and the Commonwealth. Um, but, you know, the, true to form, Her Majesty's thinking of others rather than herself. Uh, in terms of Charles, of course, it's, it's pretty... Um, it, it could be every possibility that he could have infected her. But just anecdotally... 
There is an awful lot of COVID going around the UK at the moment. We've released the restrictions. I mean, the government are saying that uh, all the restrictions are going to be disbanded very, very soon. So I think it's part of the course. But of course, that the Queen needs uh, a bit of extra special attention. I think we, f we forget she's 95 sometimes. Yeah, it's just remarkable that she's insisting on carrying on with light duties when she really wouldn't have to. But what happens if the Queen does become too unwell to press on with her work? What's the chain of command? Well, of course, true to form, duty first. And I think the Palace were uh, sort of uh, pained to, to put that message across yesterday to sort of ally any fears that uh, she was not seriously ill. Of course, that could change at any moment. So the chain of command is known as councillors of state, and that is normally the monarch's spouse, and then the four next um, in line of succession, which is Charles, William, Harry and Andrew. So it's been a real big issue here at the moment of whether... You know, Prince Andrew should step down from that role. He's, he's had his own uh, legal issues, step back from royal duties in disgrace uh, in recent months. And of course, Prince Harry is living in California. So if the Queen was to fall ill, if Ch Charles and William would be able to step in. But if one of those was abroad, for instance, then uh, then it does leave quite a big hole in, uh, in in the family. So that is possibly something that will need attention. Um, but uh, the, the, the palace aren't, aren't saying too much about it at the moment. So the Queen having COVID, is this likely to have any impact on preparations for her Platinum Jubilee celebrations in June? Well, again, of course, everybody is looking forward to that. Um, I think you know, just her, her Platinum Jubilee anniversary a few weeks ago really is kicking off a huge schedule of celebrations. We've got a big, big bank holiday weekend in June that everybody is looking forward to. Uh, you know, the Trooping of the Colour coming back to London, a big concert, uh, memorial service, of course, before that for Prince Philip. So, yes, of course, there will be tentative um, issues around those preparations, but if if the palace, uh, you know, we, we, we're taking them at face value, which of course we must do at the moment. She's only suffering mild cold-like symptoms. There is plenty of good news having all the vaccines. And so, fingers crossed, she, uh, she doesn't take a turn for the worse. And of course, the whole Commonwealth, Australia, the world, hoping she makes a very speedy recovery. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your company this evening. From the team here at 7 News, that is the latest. I'm Angela Cox. Good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.